Oh, I had to start the podcast off catering to the Swifties out there. Yes, all zero of you who listen to my podcast. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? It's the free solo edition of the Check Your Brain podcast here on this Wednesday. My name is Tony Mazer. Thank you for stumbling upon this podcast or... Um, I don't know, maybe you subscribe to it already, and maybe if you want a little bit more, you can go to my Patreon at patreon.com slash Tony Mazer for 3 5 and $10 a month. Whatever tier you want, you get more episodes of me talking about what's going on in our culture, and yes, I have some things to say about the Taylor Swift situation, and I understand that, let's see, the game was Sunday, today's Wednesday, so... Everybody has already talked about it the last two days. You're probably sick of it, but slightly different take on the whole Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, Kansas City Chiefs, NFL, Super Bowl, whatnot, that whole situation. I will talk about that in a little bit. But again, thank you for listening to the podcast here. And uh, so what I try to do with these about once a month, I do a solo episode to give you guys a little bit of a, a nudge into what I do like nudge you into possibly paying for my Patreon. If not, you get to hear what I usually rant about on my Twitter account. So that's what this podcast usually is. And I rip on what's going on in the culture. And because politics is downstream from it, I do look at politics not from a strict geopolitical. I'm not I'm not Frank Luntz. I'm not any of these pollsters. I'm not a, like a strict politics guy. I look at it from the cultural lens. So get into that here in a little bit. But speaking of culture, and before I start ripping on women in the episode, let's talk about how cringy men are, mainly male comedians. So in a podcast I did last week, Behind the Paywall, I talked about Mark Marin. So Mark Marin is a fellow podcaster and fellow comedian. Uh, he, I think if you talk to comedians who end up having more success in radio and podcasting and television and acting, anything... It offends them to know that their comedy is not as good as the other things they're doing. They believe I'm a comedian at heart, and I act, and I do a podcast, I do a radio show, I do all this other stuff. And Mark Maron has never been known. No one leaves a Mark Maron show going, my God, my sides hurt. That Mark Maron, oh, was he just so fun. When he was sitting on that stool, he had his notepad with him, and he's hunched over the, the stool a little bit talking to the audience, and I just, my ribs are killing me. Anybody have ice? What can I do? Do you have ibuprofen? It just hurts from laughing so hard at Mark Maron. No. And Mark Maron's podcast, the WTF podcast, for folks who don't know, that was his last-ditch effort before... Who knows what he was going to do to himself? Because he talked about suicide in a lot of, a lot of times. A lot of, uh, he did Air America, which bombed. He bombed there. Air America bombed. There was no interest in Air America. Um, he wasn't really doing that well in comedy, so he started a podcast. Had a bunch of his comedian friends. They hyped it up, and he eventually had Barack Obama. By the time Obama was leaving office, and now everyone's like, "Oh, well, the Mark Maron WTF." It's not a podcast where you hear him rant. Uh, everybody skips through the first 15 minutes of his podcast. He has his sponsors, and then he, he rants about Israel or whatever he wants to talk about today. And everyone's like, skip, 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 and uh, skip, and skip. And, ooh, here's the guest that I wanted to listen to. He is 
late night TV. His podcast is big enough that he is a public relations stop. If you have a new movie, a new book, a new album, a new TV show, or anything else you want to promote. That's just what he what he is. He's a PR stop. He's Jimmy Kimmel. He's Jimmy Fallon. It's just a lot more self-loathing and more... Ir- Honestly, Mark Maron is more irritating than Jimmy Kimmel, to be honest. So I played a, c- a couple of clips of him talking about last week where he's like, oh, you know, some things you can't say and all these people's thing, they're getting canceled because they're too right-wing. I found another Mark Maron cringy clip of him doing stand-up. This is him talking about how he somehow has success of being married twice but not having any kids. Okay, if that's what if that's what you feel, Mark, sure. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you if you have him what, what how amazing it would have been if you didn't. I think even 10 years ago, a 59-year-old man on stage saying he didn't have kids, a lot of people would be like, oh, but I think that paradigm is shifting a little bit. I think there are people that are like, oh, God, good for you. Jesus, I, what a mistake. I don't know why people have them. I have nothing against them, but it really seems that people don't know that they don't have to have them. Like something just clicks on and they're like, I guess it's time. It's like, it doesn't have to be. You're human. You can decide. You're not a dog. It's not based on a smell. Think about it. But I just, I never thought about having them. I never really wanted to have them. And, and people, you know, say to me, you know, like, well, don't you get lonely? I'm like, I do. I, I get very lonely, but I never think like a kid would make this better. You know, <laughs> I've had two wives and I got no kids. It takes a, a special kind of asshole to have two wives and no kids. I think my, my second wife put it like this. You think I'm bringing children into this? I- Oof. Uh, look, take away from the fact that it's it's cringeworthy to have a nearly 60-year-old man tell you, isn't my life great because I don't have kids? No, your life doesn't sound all that great. <laughs> it sounds pretty miserable, pretty depressing. Um, but forget all that. This is a man who's been doing comedy nearly 40 years, and that's his bit. That's an open micer bit. That's an open micer in any local yokel town on a Wednesday night at 10 p.m. at some shithole bar. I'm going to curse a couple of times, if you don't mind. Uh, The E that's there on my podcast, it says explicit for a reason. So sometimes I'm going to curse a couple of times to emphasize the point. I don't gratuitously curse, but every so often I pepper it in there for you. That's a bit I have heard from comedians who don't do comedy anymore. I don't have kids and I'm happy. Okay. Well, why do you have to have, have kids to be happy? Uh, really? Uh, I, I don't know what's worse, that or like a, a, a self-loathing white guy comedian who's self-loathing or having white rappers. I don't know. I, I think the white rap thing had a little run with Eminem in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then almost as soon as 8 Mile happened, Eminem has really not been much of a thing. And if anything, it's it's getting more cringe. Here's an old clip of him being interviewed. I don't know why it resurfaced. I think because the Detroit Lions played the other day and he was in the suite. But uh, here is a clip of Eminem from, I think, 20 years ago being interviewed by Anderson Cooper saying that, no, 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 I know you think that Nothing rhymes with orange, but I can find different ways of rhyming orange together. Uh, okay, sure. 
I've heard you say that you, you bend the word. Yeah, it's just in the enunciation of it. Like people say that uh, the word orange doesn't rhyme with anything. And that kind of pisses me off because I can think of a lot of things that rhyme with orange. What rhymes with orange? If you're looking, to, if you're taking, if you're taking right. the word at face value, and you just say orange, nothing is gonna rhyme with it exactly. If you enunciate it and you make it like more than one syllable, mm -hmm. orange, you could say like, uh, I put my orange four-inch door hinge in storage. And ate porridge with George. <laughs> I've heard none of that rhymed. None of that rhymed. You're going for some kind of is that is that onomatopoeia? Is that what it's called? You're you're going with sound alike words, but no, nothing you said actually rhymed with orange. That is embarrassingly cringe. That was cringe twenty years ago when he did that interview. It's cringe today. So no more white rappers, no more Jack Harlow, no more Post Malone, no, uh, I don't know, are there any other, I, I don't keep up, I really don't keep up with hip-hop, trust me, I don't, and especially with the garbage that's out here. Here is um, Ice Cube, he was on the Not Real Time with Bill Maher, what's the podcast he does where Bill Maher is just stoned the entire time, and Ice Cube brings up a really interesting point about hip-hop was almost made to subvert the black community and almost create this hip-hop-to-prison pipeline that didn't need to be there and wasn't there in the 80s. It's kind of fascinating. Same people who own the labels own the prisons. Literally the same people? Literally the same people who own the labels own private prisons. The records that come out are really geared to push people towards that prison industry. But they didn't make you write those lyrics. It's not about making somebody write the lyrics. It's about being there as guardrails to make sure certain songs make it through and certain songs don't. Some records are made by committee, you, meaning record company guys sit around and tell the artists, this is hot, say that, do this. We're gonna have this guy write the lyrics. We're gonna have that. You have, you know, the record company pushing the narrative. You know, some social engineering going on here to make sure those prisons stay full. Isn't that interesting? I mean, this is Ice Cube, who was in a group called NWA. I'm not going to say what the group is really named, but uh, NWA. He was one of the most badass rappers of the late 80s, early 90s. But it's kind of interesting that he brings that up because... You think about where hip-hop was in the late 70s, the really early beginnings and Sugar Hill Gang and Grandmaster Flash, and then what happened 10 years later? You had, it was all about gangs and, and it, you know, you talk about the gangsta rap, and now the music is, is even worse now with trap music, with this ratchet rap, with uh, all, all of this that's going on, and it, it's a lifestyle that's not going away. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I try not to keep up with it. I don't care that much about pop culture nowadays. I pay as minimal a, amount of attention as possible where I'm not just going to be a complete boomer when I walk into a party or a bar and I can at least know what I'm talking about. But it's not interesting. I've talked about this on podcasts. Somebody had this on a uh, recent Mondays with Mazer with my, me and my pal Chad Zumach, and somebody said, 
Tony, how do you know all this stuff from way before you were born? How do you know who was on the roster of the, I don't know, the 1972 Oakland Athletics? How do you know these TV shows that had a one-run or one-season run back in the day? How do you how do you know that there was that many episodes of The Honeymooners? 39. And I say, because this is what we have now. And that brings me to Taylor Swift. So... Taylor Swift is a year and a half younger than me. I'm born in 88. She's born in 89, latter half of 89. So she'll be 35 this year. I will be 36. And she hit the scene in 2006 with, I believe the first song that came out was the, was it the Teardrops on My Guitar or was it Tim McGraw? And I remembered even at 18 hearing this 16, 17-year-old country singer with her songs. And I just go, nah, nah, not a fan. And it's kind of funny when you think about who could be a one-hit wonder at the beginning and who ends up having a lasting legacy. I had, I, I had co-workers of mine tell me that when they, when they first heard Madonna, they're like, well, this is a flash in the pan. Forty years later, seems Madonna's still touring. Meemaw's out touring right now <laughs> with uh, wearing sleeveless shirts and having liver spots on her face and her... Oof, boy, that doesn't look good. The whole Taylor Swift thing, uh, I, did I think it had the legacy? Did do, do I think it would have had the legs, no pun intended, that nearly 20 years later we are still talking about her? Nah, I probably wouldn't have guessed that, especially if she stayed in country. Uh, I, I just don't think that would have been the case. But she made the switch about, what about 10? Well, actually, that getting that back together song that I opened the podcast with here, that was you were starting to see the shift from her being she's making these poppy little country songs to a more of a pop star to I am a goddess. And you were seeing that from about 2012 into 2014 when the Shake It Off song. And the Shake It Off song was like, this is new Taylor. This is new Tay Tay, a new era, if you will, of Taylor Swift. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I get the trajectory. So football fans have been talking about this, and the Fox News, Newsmax types have been discussing the potential Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey psyop. What is the psyop here? Well, I'm going to play a little clip here. This is kind of, You're seeing these weird owns, and I, I caution anybody who is talking about this to not get too invested because it it's it, it's it's going to divide us a lot more but let me play this it's you're seeing mainstream news melt down over this that doesn't need to happen and the potential backlash and all the conspiracies and stuff so let me play this clip and i'll comment on it throughout it so here check this out this is why we can't have nice things i almost sung it but i wasn't gonna do that wait that's a song that's a line from oh. a taylor swift song with the Kansas City Chiefs headed to the Super Bowl, influential MAGA media personalities, they're pushing this conspiracy theory about Taylor Swift, her superstar boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, the NFL, the Democratic Party being in cahoots, all woven together here trying to get President Biden reelected. We promised you conspiracy theory Mad Libs, and that is pretty much exactly what you're going to get. A failed Republican presidential candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy, posted this, quote, I wonder if there's a major presidential endorsement coming from an artificially, culturally propped up couple, 
This fall, no shortage of conspiracy theories from the failed presidential candidate. Okay, so this is CNN, and you could tell where their bias is. Um, Taylor Swift, the only way you get to a level of this superstardom is you have to be propped up artificially. No one is this talented. I'm telling you that right now. Taylor Swift is not this talented to be the number one most, like, highest grossing female artist and most Grammys ever. And No one is this talented. Trust me. So you have to be propped up. And you start looking at throughout Hollywood. You, you look at Madison Avenue. Why are there some people that are one-hit wonders, a couple people that have a couple of decent years of Vince Vaughn? Then why does Vince Vaughn drop off? Is it political or is it just not Vince Vaughn's day? Why was Dane Cook selling out Madison Square Garden for a couple of years? Number one album all over the place. He's on TV shows. He's starring in movies. Then, a couple of years later, it's not Dane Cook day anymore. So why is it always Taylor Swift day? Why has Will Smith, for example, how about this? It, this was so funny two years ago during the Oscars slap, Will Smith, uh, slapping Chris Rock. Both of them have been famous for 35 years. Chris Rock first came on the scene. I think his one of his first movies was I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker. When he's in there, he's like, I want one rib. One rib. Go check it out. It's kind of funny. He's with Isaac Hayes and Jim Brown. Um, and then he gets on SNL for a little bit in Living Color, and he's one of the biggest comedians of the 1990s and the 2000s and starring in movies all over the place. Will Smith was a rapper who ended up getting on a TV show and then is on successful movies from Men in Black and the sequels to um, Independence Day and everything else. Will Smith has never not been famous in 35 years. You do not get to this level of fame without being propped up artificially. That's just how it is. And it goes back to Elvis Presley. It goes back to the Beatles. This is what happens. And this is why I caution people who are sounding off on their Facebook page, whether it's anti-Taylor Swift, you're talking about, oh, well, you know, this is just a whole uh, plot for Democrats trying to get her to vote for Joe Biden. Guys, she's going to vote for Joe Biden, or she's going to support Joe Biden. She has supported Joe Biden. There used to be a long-standing meme, I guess, a verbal meme. You would see this online, is that Taylor Swift, for a long time, did not endorse candidates. She didn't get political. And it wasn't until, what, 2018, was it against Marsha Blackburn, I believe, in, in Tennessee, that she finally was going up against her opponent. Because she, you realize what kind of cachet she has. That she can probably bring people who don't really care about politics or know anything about politics or know anything about the politicians on the ballot to make them change their minds or make them vote in a direction because Taylor Swift said so. So I think people, you and I with brains, are not going to be taken in by a celebrity endorsement. If Norm MacDonald is doing commercials for Kentucky Fried Chicken, well, gosh, Norm MacDonald is my one of my favorite comedians. I did a whole podcast. He's in my Mount Rushmore of comedians. But that didn't make me go to KFC and get a bucket of chicken that day because I am not taken in by a celebrity endorsement. There are people who are, unfortunately. This is why we still have celebrity endorsements. I... Anytime you watch a commercial, it's funny. I was talking to a friend of mine today about this, about how advertising has changed. And 
if you were a starving actor, you would do commercials. But if you were an A-lister, you wouldn't be caught dead doing commercials. If you're Orson Welles trying to sell frozen peas or Paul Masson, you realize, uh-oh, what's Orson doing nowadays? He must be really hard up for money. He probably needs to fund some another unfinished project. So here he is talking about frozen peas. <laughs> We know, we know, Mrs. We know there's a farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. In July, peas grow there. Do you mean in July? You can't put the emphasis. <laughs> Go back and check that out if you don't know what I'm talking about. But you were an A-list actor. You didn't need to do endorsements. Frank Sinatra famously did endorsements in Japan. He did never would have done so in America. But things have changed. To the point where Ellen DeGeneres, who makes how much a year, or has been making how much a year, is going to have a couple extra bucks to sh to shelf, shelf for, uh, what, a Time Warner Cable or Spectrum. Jim Parsons was on, sadly, one of the biggest comedy shows of, of this century in The Big Bang Theory. He was he played Sheldon, the, the gay scientist. Well, not gay on the show. He was apparently dating Blossom. And... He's making a ton of money. He's probably making $2 million an episode, and yet he has a multi-million dollar endorsement from Hewlett-Packard. You don't have enough money? Why can't you let a starving actor who's living in a, a north, some North Burbank studio apartment and getting by off of like a background spot in a commercial, how about you let them? Instead, you're taking all of their opportunities, but advertising has changed. And I guess the way they're looking at it is, hey, if we can sway you to and propagandize you to purchase a product or vote for a certain candidate, we'll see what we have in our arsenal. And unfortunately for Republicans, they don't really have that kind of sway that Democrats do because Hollywood is obviously very liberal. So if Taylor Swift could be the make or break in the election, it, could that happen? I don't know. Excuse me. I don't know. I'm not sure. Does Taylor Swift have what it takes to sway an election? That people are looking at their grocery bills and their the gas tank and everything, and things have just skyrocketed since the last election, or at least in the last five years since COVID. And what do you do? Well, could Taylor Swift bring somebody who's an independent voter? Because it's not so much a Republican voter would vote Democrat because of Taylor Swift. However, you might have an independent voter or somebody who has never voted before, and and Tay-Tay tells the Swifties that, uh, hey, this Joe Biden guy is the right, right person. So that's why I caution the Fox News types, the Jack Posobics, the others who are getting involved in a culture war here. I'm not saying don't engage in culture wars. I love get engaging in culture wars, and whenever the mass media, when the corporate press comes out and says, oh, can you believe these right-wingers engaging in a culture war? Well, yeah, you know why? You know why they say that? It's because we're catching on. Anybody who's a non-leftist is catching on to what you're doing. So when there's critical race theory and pornography and the, the indoctrination of a lot of LGBTQ stuff in schools, and you say, hey, guys, don't think it's a good idea to be pushing this, to, to be showing graphic photos of oral sex in books and anal fisting and everything like that in a book that's readily available to take out in a library. 
and the response from the media is, Republicans pounce on a culture war in elementary schools. Yeah, it means we noticed what you were trying to do. But I caution people, if is this a PSYOP? Is the whole Taylor Swift thing a PSYOP? Well, here's the other thing. Taylor Swift, like I said earlier, is it is she an artificially propped up pop star? Of course she is, but they all are. And once you start understanding that anything that's pushed by our mainstream in any type of mainstream society, I, I don't know, my life is a lot easier when I didn't give a shit about this stuff, when I couldn't care less about Taylor Swift, about Beyonce, about... Uh, Patrick and Jackson and Brittany Mahomes, or anybody is Sydney Sweeney on the the Hot Ones podcast, or anybody. I don't care about these individuals. Sadly, we do live in a society that is celebrity driven. We had a TV show for a number of years called TMZ. What is TMZ? TMZ is a show of photographers and videographers harassing celebrities in a 30-mile zone, TMZ. So they're all in this area of Los Angeles, and it's a bunch of photographers who are like, Jake Gyllenhaal leaving LAX. Jake, I hear you're in this uh, new movie, uh, the Roadhouse movie. That's what's going on. We are a celebrity-obsessed culture. And understand that if you're going to war, figurative, for as a country, it sounds like we're on the brink of an actual war, but maybe we'll get to that later in the podcast here. But if you're going on a culture war against Taylor Swift, against her, my advice is to ignore her. My advice is to ignore the whole thing. You can shake your head. You can think, whatever. Yes, is it is it irritating for a diehard football fan? who is watching the AFC Championship game between the Baltimore Ravens and Kansas City Chiefs. And anytime Travis Kelsey touches the ball, much less a touchdown, but if he touches the ball or they throw in his direction and they show Taylor Swift in the booth, it's a couple of seconds. I don't mean to sound Larry Liberal here. Just ignore it. Ignore it for the two seconds they show her and they'll show something else. They're, what the NFL is trying to do is they're pushing uh, more people into their sport. Now, you can think, is it a way, is it, is it a conspiracy theory that the NFL and Roger Goodell are hand-in-hand hand with the Joe Biden administration, that the more they show, it's this whole thing? I don't know. When it comes to conspiracy theories, I don't rule anything out. I don't say anything is ridiculous anymore. I'm I'm at the point of moon landing. I I don't believe it at this point anymore. Uh, I don't believe in a lot of the 9/11 narrative that was originally pushed. All these conspiracy theories, and we talk about it with Bruce Hall on the podcast last week. So go check that out. Um, but what do I think? Why is this whole Taylor Swift thing happening right now? And I called it in September when we first heard about this, when she was first spotted at the game, and they were Tra Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift are holding hands. Oh well, are they? This the new hot couple here. The way I looked at it is, yeah, I know what they're doing. The NFL is doesn't just want dumb jocks watching their sport. They want women. If they can find a way to get. Teens, tweens, millennials, Zoomers who normally wouldn't watch football to watch football, it's working. So you can hate on all you want, 
but it, I don't think it's going to work out for you culturally if you are going on your Facebook page and publicly opposing it. But it, it, it's not even so much just, you know, Joe Blow, who's, uh, you know, just a regular blue-collar worker who says on his Facebook page in front of 200 Facebook friends. It's, it's another when you're Jesse Waters on Fox News talking about this, or Greg Gutfeld, or anybody of a, a, a huge level of Vivek Ramaswamy. I think, I think it's just, it's it's a really weird flex, and I don't know if it's going to work in your favor. Um, just my opinion, my opinion, I, I just think that it, it's, you, you can stomach it. Yes, is it irritating in some ways? You How many times total are they going to show Taylor Swift in the booth? Probably a total of two minutes a game. It's not that bad. And, and I'll give you another example. So what happened to the days of going to the old ballpark to go watch a baseball game? And there was the nacho stand and the peanut stand and the cheap light beer stand. What else was there? There's a souvenir stand. You can get a pennant. You can get your scorecard and keep score with your dad at the game. And that was it. Peanuts. Beer here. That was it. Now you go to a baseball game, and everything is, there's like an Instagram wall, a selfie thing. You can get sushi at the ballpark. You can get craft beer. You have pour-your-own-beer stations with 82 different types of beer. Um, with the, You get a little wristband, and you can have a, all-you-can-eat seats, and you can do this, this, and this. They're not catering to the fan because they know they have that fan. That's what the NFL is doing. They know they have the NFL fan. The, yeah, there was a little boycott a couple of years ago with the kneeling, but they stopped showing it on TV. And, well, they stopped kneeling, and people started coming back and watching the sport again. That's the reason. For anybody who's like, well, well how'd that boycott work out? Actually, it worked out very well. It really did, because it was the lowest ratings the NFL was having in a number of years. So what they did is they stopped showing it on TV, and the guys got off their knees and stopped kneeling and stood for the flag. Simple as that. So the boycott actually did work. Morons who say that online, you dummies. Um, but you go to a baseball game, and they have all these different food options. You get these, oh, I've got an artisan pretzel with Parmesan and garlic, and you look at this thing. They're doing so for the non-fan. So if you brought your wife, your girlfriend, your daughter, who doesn't really care that much about baseball, but what can we do to keep her in the ballpark? This is the cool place to go in town. That's just what's going on. And uh, you don't have to like it, but this is where we're at right now. Just watch the game. Watch the game, and then once the halftime show, go in the other room, get another beer. Grab a pizza. I'm going to a Super Bowl party where they actually turn off the halftime show. We don't watch the halftime show, and we will listen to Black Sabbath. I, that's great. Sounds good to me. The girls can go in the other room and watch Usher and whoever else is going to come out and surprise you. Guest appearances at the Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, us over here, we're going to listen to Black Sabbath. Now, I don't know if it's Ozzy Black Sabbath or Dio Black Sabbath, but hey, I'm fine with that. Fine either way. So, just my word of advice to you folks who want to go to war with the Swifties, I don't know how well that's going to work out for you. We have people in our culture who are propped up, and Taylor Swift is one of them, LeBron is one of them, 
Beyonce's one of them. There's certain people that you just cannot rip on, or you will have the super fans and the bots that will come after you. And I mean, I, there, there are even a couple of rappers that XXTation, whatever his name is, he doxed, the fans went and doxed people and like went into the, and hacked into their Twitter account because you said that he wasn't a very good rapper. <laughs> That's it. So there's a lot of lunatics out there. You want to play this game? Okay, get ready. If you want to go into a culture war with Taylor Swift, again, my advice, like with every celebrity, with Beyonce, with um, with Usher, with any A-lister of all A-listers right now, is ignore it. Watch something else. We have other options. If you're sick of seeing Taylor Swift, go back and watch a Kansas City Chiefs game from 1990 with Christian Okoye. My advice. So take it or leave it. Let's move on here on the podcast for a couple of other things that we can get to. Speaking of women, this is just, uh, what is this one? There's a lot of, <laughs> I put a lot of clips because I, I what I do for my podcast is I, I have a whole notepad and then I put just a very vague general header with the link to it. But then I do it over the course of a couple of days and I forget what I'm talking about. So sometimes I'm surprised when I play these. So here's a woman who's complaining about dating in her 30s. I sent a man a picture of me drinking my coffee this morning. He sent me back a video of his dick. So. So, yeah. That's uh, dating in your 30s. I don't know if you know this, but uh, it wasn't too long ago that uh, you dated in your 20s, actually your teens and in your early 20s, then you got married and you popped out a couple of kids by the time you were done, <laughs> you were about 30, and you didn't date in your 30s because you were married already, and you were raising children, you didn't have to worry about that, but because we as a culture decided everybody needs to go to college, everyone needs to find themselves and sow their wild oats... And then all of a sudden you wake up and you're 32 and you're not married and you don't have any prospects and you're just swiping through Tinder like crazy. And by the way, this isn't just a rip on women here because this, this is a girl who's she has hand tattoos, so you clearly are craving some kind of attention. Uh, but it's also guys. Guys, uh, stop sending the dick pics. Stop it. The, the uh, Here's the only acceptable way I would say to send a picture of your penis is if she sends them and requests it and you are in some type of, I guess you're dating. I've never sent one to my wife. My wife and I have been together for seven years, been married almost four, been together seven, never once sent her a picture of my, my schmeckle. Never once. She has never asked for it either, but I wasn't going to send her one unsolicited anyways. So... I mean, do, do women want to see that? Some women, I'm not going to lie, yes, they do. I don't know why. I think it's what they... They either want to see what they're going to work with because they're whores, or they're looking to save it and post it somewhere and try to embarrass you. Blackmail you, maybe. I don't know. But guys, uh, if she sends a picture of her coffee, send a picture of your beverage and not your beverage with your penis in it. <laughs> if you're drinking tea and you have a tea bag, please don't let that tea bag be your testicles. Just 
Again, this is like Tony's words of advice in today's episode. Guys, no more dick pics. Women, if you're dating in your 30s, it's, it's not going to work out well for you. And guys, if you're also dating in your 30s and you're trying to find a woman around your age, she's probably has, she probably has kids. And if she doesn't have kids, she's a lunatic. I'm telling you that right now from experience. I have seen that. Here's, a, here's somebody who's an insane woman if you want to go on a date with her. So I'm about to go on a date. And uh, I have to get all my weirdness out before I see him. Because I want to I wanna impress him. He's the awesome. That's what's out there, guys. So if you want to sow your wild oats in your 20s and you're turning 29 and you're looking at 30, you're like, man, I... I was in a relationship maybe like a year, but, you know, I dated, I had several one-night stands, and but I'm heading into my 30s. Maybe I should get my shit together. Uh, you know what? It's actually kind of nice. I'm enjoying this Tinder and Bumble stuff. This is wonderful. Guys, if you eventually want to settle down, the good girls are off the market. You might get lucky every so often. You might get a girl who, uh, I don't know, maybe she's saving it for the right person, but the... The chances that you're going to date a crazy woman that says she's about to go on a date, making like weird Tourette's Pee Wee Herman type of noises, um, the odds that you will date her as opposed to a girl who's, well, a virgin or pretty pure, very, very slim. I got very lucky. I got very lucky finding my wife because we were not of our early 20s by the time we met. Uh, but she was much more normal than any girl that I brought around. And, I don't know, I have my own quirks too, trust me. <sighs> That's why I realized when I was, because tw- I met my wife when I was 28. And I realized it, it's not getting any better. I was on the dating apps. I was looking at these people. The, the septum piercings, the live, laugh, love tattoos on their chest, the, um, the pronouns, Al- although... The the trans, the queer, the pronoun stuff was, uh, that was like just beginning by the time I had met my wife. So I'm, I thank God I've bypassed all of that right now. I can't even imagine what that's like nowadays. But it was starting to get pretty bad around 20, at the end of 2016, 2017. And I can't even fathom what it's like in 2024. Um, here's another insane woman. This is if you want to go on a date with uh, a woman whose pronouns are it and they. Okay. I think that I would like validation for my gender identity. There are some pictures of me. My pronouns are it and they. My gender is none. <laughs> I enjoy dressing in a more feminine, I guess, way. But I don't want to be associated with gender. I enjoy looking like a clown. I kind of view myself as a doll. I don't abide by gender. I'm fucking built different. You sure are. (laughs) You got that right, toots. Uh, She is is short hair. She likes wearing dresses. So she's dressed like a goth from about 1999. And she has hair like a... a, I'm trying to think. Almost like Eminem type of hair, but pink. And she has clown makeup on. Literal clown makeup that 
she should be enrolled at the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Greatest Show on Turf Clown College. That was what it was called, by the way. You and you had to say it, or you got points off. I heard that from Pendulette. You had to say the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Greatest Show on Earth Clown College, which closed up in 1997. Steve-O was in one of the last classes there. Uh, yeah, we have a serious mental health crisis that people are so narcissistic. You are. You look like a clown. You're getting your validation. I don't need validation from anybody. Yes, you do. You wouldn't be posting this if you didn't want validation from people saying how beautiful you are. Who wouldn't want to date an it they? What is it they? I mean, is this a joke? Is it as in a cl the clown, Pennywise? Or is it, I don't know, more like shit they? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we're in a... We're in some bad, bad uh, times, but we're we're propping up crazy people. You, we have a mental health crisis, and instead of doing what we normally did by putting people who are suffering from serious mental health disorders (plural) into insane asylums, we used to have asylums. We used to put you in what we colloquially called the loony bin. You were in the loony bin for a little bit. You had to be under watch. You were getting certain medication. Uh, if you were going crazy, they put a straitjacket on you and put you in a padded room. And instead, we put you on television giving interviews. Like uh, this crazy woman who uh, apparently claims she's going to get $88 million from Donald Trump, E. Jean Carroll. said that when you've actually faced the man, he's just a man with no clothes on. Yeah. It's the people around him that are giving him the power. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, Hans Christian Andersen's great fairy tale, The Emperor Has No Clothes, that is written about Donald Trump. It's just, we're the ones who clothe him in all this power. By the way, The Emperor Has No Clothes, and you want to talk about... This is what's going on with Joe Biden, by the way. The whole thing where he, he clearly is has... has uh, a dementia or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or all the above. He, he can't figure out what he's talking about next. He obviously needs his teleprompter and he can't even read the teleprompter right. He's being, he needs to be led off the stage or else he's bumping into walls. He's as Shane Gillis said that it's like a Roomba trying to figure out the room that it's vacuuming up. That's who Joe Biden is. But we're, to say that Donald Trump is the one who's crazy and the emperor has no clothes. Okay, uh, let's hear more from crazy woman who's absolutely crazy, but you're not allowed to say that or you, you too will also get a... Uh, she's very litigious, this woman. He has none himself. It's his followers. It's his hangers-on. In the court, they were strutting back and forth and handing him messages. It was... Right, Robbie? Ms. Yeah. Mm. Ms. Curry, you say he's nothing. You say the emperor has no clothes. The emperor is trying to run for president yes. again. And, and right and, now is leading. And right now, the polls suggest uh, it's a yeah. coin flip. It's very close. Um, have you heard from Joe Biden's campaign arm about potentially campaigning against the former president, Donald Trump? No. Are you interested in doing so? Do anything I can. Mm. To do anything she can to help out Joe Biden defeat Donald Trump? That's interesting. That's weirdly politically motivated. That's not even the worst clip uh, from E. Jean Carroll. But let me, let's do the background. As I think people remember the background about who E. Jean Carroll is. She is a, she was a gossip columnist or an advice columnist for some magazine for like 25 years. 
and she had a brief moment where she wrote for Saturday Night Live. And Saturday Night Live's, their team of writers were usually like Jim Downey and uh, Michael O'Donohue and a couple of other writers. And it was just a gaggle of comedians who were on the show, the not ready for uh, primetime players and a couple of other SNL writers. She was one of them. I don't even, I, I don't think she had anything noteworthy that she contributed. But she was a part of this. She's a woman that uh, there was a recent clip that un- that was unearthed that they sh- they showed her backyard. There was a little smokehouse shed in her backyard with poetry and stuff written graffiti all over it that she had written. She painted the trees and the rocks in her backyard blue. And as Donald Trump said, uh, she named her cat Vagina. Who names a cat Vagina? <laughs> yes. And then the Anderson Cooper clip, another Anderson Cooper clip that was uh, even more cringe than the Eminem thing that I played earlier about trying to rhyme orange, where she said that she thinks rape is sexy. She's, some people find rape sexy. You're very interesting. Mm. And they had to quickly cut to commercial. And you notice that you didn't hear anything from E. Jean Carroll after that interview until, what, about two months ago. Just a couple of months ago, you didn't hear anything. And I remembered hearing the E. Jean Carroll news back. She's back? We're still doing this? Well, Donald Trump uh, raped her in a Bergdorf Goodman. Really? When was it? I don't know. What season? I don't know. Uh, Where in it? Oh, it was like near a dressing room. And Well, what did he do? Well, some said he uh, digitally raped her. Others, he used his member to uh, penetrate her. Which was it? I don't know. It 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 was all over the place. But you don't know. You have no proof. You don't know. It's the same as the Kavanaugh stuff. When Brett Kavanaugh, oh, he was accused of, he, uh, he and um, uh, Chris Dudley, former bum of a basketball player for the Cleveland Cavaliers, Chris Dudley, who was friends with Brett Kavanaugh in college, and uh, they went to a party, and uh, uh, Christine Blasey Ford, she was held down as they were sexually assaulting her. Hey, uh, Christine, when was this? I don't know. It was like in 82. Really? Well, when was it? Well, I don't know. It was at some party. Whose party? I don't know. You know, uh, do you know anybody else who was there? Nope, I have no idea. But it happened. And we had to take it for, you know, face value because me too. Hashtag believe all women. We had to do that. And that's when the E. Jean Carroll thing. Oh, well, yeah, Donald Trump raped me. Ooh, we got a story. Instead of somebody actually looking into it and looking at her behavior and realizing that she is clearly a crazy woman. When I've seen feminists on Twitter going, oh my, good for E. Jean, she raked him over the coals, and, and they gave her way more than uh, than they were even asking for. So it almost seems to me that the DOJ is going after Donald Trump, not just trying to put him in jail, but trying to bankrupt him. So I played that E. Jean Carroll clip. That was from CBS News. I watched that. That was a couple of days ago. The fact that they're, I, I, I sat there, I was watching this on the TV. I actually watched that live uh, on CBS. I was at work and it was just on the, in the break room. And I'm, I'm looking at this and going, they're actually putting this crazy woman who's going to say something that's going to go viral on these shows. She did all the shows, including Rachel Maddow later in the day. So this clip is even worse. Oh my gosh. You've talked about using some of, Trump's money that you're about to get um, to help shore up women's rights. Do you know what that might be, what that might look like? Yes, Rachel. Yes. Tell me. I had such 
such great ideas <laughs> for all the good I'm going to do with this money. First thing, Rachel, you and I are going to go shopping. We're going to get completely <laughs> new wardrobes, new shoes, motorcycle for Crowley, new fishing rod for Robbie. Rachel, what do you want? Penthouse? It's yours, Nothing. Rachel. Penthouse and uh, France? You want France? You want to go fishing nope. in France? No? Oh. All right. All right. Okay. That's a joke. <laughs> So Rachel Maddow is doing this awkward laughter, and E. Jean's attorney's like, oh, it was a joke, it was a joke. She doesn't really mean that. Because they were trying... What Rachel Maddow was doing here was trying to set this up by saying, so uh, on top of the $5 million, you now have $83 million. I'm assuming you're going to donate this money to a worthy cause for feminism and battered women's shelters and other women who have been affected by sexual assault and sexual harassment and even rape. And what does she do? She treats it like she won the lottery. You know why? Because she won the lottery. She doesn't treat this as a rape victim who's getting some kind of comeuppance. There, or she's finally seeing the comeuppance. She's finally getting that justice that's uh, being delivered to old Donnie Trump. Uh, no, this this is a woman that it, it's the equivalent of, I, I have a scratch-off ticket and I realize, oh my God, my number's aligned. I won the lottery. That's what somebody does when they win the lottery. TV camera has a puts a microphone in your face. Well... So, Eugene, what, what, what are you going to do with all that money? Well, I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to buy a penthouse and a new car. And hey, do you want a car? And you get a car. And you get a car. Everybody gets a car. Ha, ha, ha. Isn't that hilarious? That's great. Um, that doesn't sound like somebody who was brutally raped by a, a billionaire businessman in the 1990s in a department store in New York City. Uh, yeah, it's all bullcrap. It's bullshit. The whole thing is bullshit. We all know this, and I think even diehard anti-Trump feminists, in their heart of hearts, know that this is bullshit. It's kind of like when, let me use another sports example, where, um, hmm, let's use it, let's use an example of a, a, a wide receiver, or you can be a tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, and you go to catch a, catch a pass, and you're about to hit the ground, and the ball kind of hits a little bit of the turf, and it, maybe you even lost it, and you kind of trapped the ball on the turf, yet the referees called it a catch, and the other team's out of challenges, so they just keep it going. But you know in your heart of hearts that you did not catch that ball. Or you could be Tom Brady. Tom Brady knows that that was a fumble with the tuck rule. But he's not going to say it publicly. He's not going to come right out and say, yeah, no, uh, I fumbled the ball. Oakland should have took over the ball uh, took over the ball game and won the ball game. And it would, we wouldn't have been able to jettison this uh, huge historic run for the New England Patriots over time. That that's what set things off from that. It was the last game ever at Foxborough Stadium. Um, but... It's amazing. So, but you're not going to say that. So, in your mind, you're like, I know this isn't real, but I got to take my victories when I can. She's an absolutely crazy woman. Uh, she, hey, she may sue me. This may get back to E. Jean Carroll, this crazy woman. And by the way, do you honestly think that she will even get a million dollars, much less 88 million? I don't think that's going to happen. I really don't. But also what was interesting about 
that episode or the 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 whole thing with E.G. and Carol was based. It seemed sounded like it was based on an episode of Law and Order, because it was almost word for word an episode of Law and Order. Hmm, that was kind of interesting. Well, this isn't the clip. Here's another Law and Order piece. This is from Law and Order SVU, and this is you want to talk about woke writing. That the fact that there was a writer strike last year. And I don't know when this episode was written. I would assume it was long before the writer's strike. But this kind of writing, this concept was going on. Oof. This is... you. I, I, I've been trying not to use the word woke. But this is really bad. You want to talk about rape in TV shows and how they handle it. Here's an episode, a clip from Law & Order SVU of a woman who was raped... But her accuser was black, was a black teenager, and she would feel guilty about the black teenager going to prison for, you know, the rape because of the large incarceration rate of black people. Uh, okay. But Natalie, Jay Watson raped you. You think I forgot? How could I? This entire trial has been an exercise in reminding me. And this is your chance to do something about it. I am going to. Believe me. Because I can. I can afford therapy. I have that luxury. And maybe one day, I'll be okay. But if that teenager goes to prison, he may not be. So she's, she was raped by a, a black teenager, and she'll feel too guilty the black teenager who committed a crime would have to go pay for his crime. She doesn't want to do that. So I'll be fine. I'll go to therapy. I'll get over this brutal attack on me because I don't want to... Really? Oh, by the way, it gets worse. Here's the second clip. I'm listening, Mr. Carter. Go ahead, Jay. That girl... Natalie, I did what she said. She ain't lying. Okay. I took something. Something I can't get back. It was just supposed to be a robbery. But when I saw her, my whole life, nobody paid attention to anything I did. Not at home, not at school. Always felt kind of invisible, you know? So why would this be any different? What I did to Natalie, what I did change her life forever. I guess I finally learned my lesson. Just too late. It's never too late, Mr. Watson. You'll do time. Not your whole life. When you get out, you'll still have some runway ahead of you. Taking responsibility for what you did. 
is only the first step. I'll speak to Miss Ross. Wow. So they bring they bring the rapist on that Law and Order SVU episode to play the victim card. And we're supposed to go, yeah, well, I know I raped her, but understand, I didn't know my father, and I came from a bad upbringing. And we're all supposed to go, oh, well, look, you're going to have to do some time, but you'll have plenty of time to think and convert to Islam, and then maybe you can turn your life around. Yeah. What? We're not, we're not talking about anything that was on accident or by circumstance. <laughs> Again, I, I understand this is a fictional TV show, but there's plenty of examples that we have seen in the last couple of years, I would say last 10 years, of a, a woman who gets attacked. I forgot which one it was. It's a story that I've heard a number of times from a couple of people about a woman who was, was murdered by a black person, and the the boyfriend or the fiance or the husband did an African rope burning ceremony because he wanted to show the, uh, the, the, the person, the, the murderer's family and the murderer himself that he's not, he feels no ill will. He feels no racism towards that person. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to justify racism, but I, I think if uh, you would be justified in feeling a certain way if that happened to your significant other. I'm just going to say that right now. I think that should be justified. Just my opinion. Take it or leave it. Um, here's a black woman who uh, says that uh, white people being happy makes her mad and uncomfortable. This might be a controversial take, but I'm seeing a lot of queer white people posting shit like... Like posting themselves being really happy and doing some random shit and being like, yeah, our joy is resistance. And like, in my opinion, white people's joy is not resistance. Like queer or not, your joy is not resistance. Matter of fact, your joy is what got us here in the first place. Like your joy is why we're having to resist. And like y'all putting yourselves and finding yourselves and like your own joy in front of everybody else is what got us here. Like, literally, I'm seeing so many white people right now going on, like, organizer retreats and posting about their joy and how awesome it was. Honestly, I want to see more of y'all, like, sitting your ass at home and giving your money to black and brown people so they can do that shit. Oh, okay. I see what's happened. Yeah, we, we had to, you buried the lead towards the end. So we need to be miserable and we need to just give all of our money to black and brown people. So you can feel joy. So I can't feel joy at all and I need to donate all my money to people of color because what because reparations because of slavery because of things that happened long before both of my families were in this country <sighs> it, it's tiresome man it's tiresome when i hear these these things that, that go on and it's just it this is what's being pushed on tiktok you want to talk about what's been dividing us you want to talk about a culture that uh, has really divided us it's not taylor swift it's what's being pushed in in normalizing this the the bigotry of low expectations or just bigotry in general but because it doesn't fit a particular narrative uh that that kind of just is a local news story or something i don't know um let's see oh speaking of divisiveness so this isn't just in the uh in the 2000s in the 
MySpace, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Vine, uh, TikTok universe, not just because of social media. We've been divided for a long time. And though I'm a, I'm a child of the 1990s, I think the 90s were, well, I would say a much better decade in some ways it, when it com- comes to music and other cultural elements. But people forgot there was a big divisive thing that happened on October 3rd of 1995. And I, I just put here as the caption, we were pretty divided in the 90s too. So there was that, there's that guy, Ornthal something, Simpson, the Simpsons, whatever, and uh, he lopped off the head of his ex-wife, allegedly, and a waiter, allegedly, and he got off. And uh, this is a little time capsule of what how this happened and when they announced the verdict. And some people were happy and some people were not so happy. Yeah. This is Robertson. Superior Court of California, County of Los Angeles, in the matter of the people of the state of California versus Orenthal James Simpson, case number BA097211. We, the jury in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of So yeah, it, we many of us who remember that day, I, I remember that day very well. My uh, my team, they, they were called the Indians. The Cleveland Indians were playing in their first playoff appearance in 41 years that day. Um, but yeah, that's the the, the acquittal of O.J. Simpson, and it, you had an entire community came out and said that this was a victory for them. How was it a victory for them? Where was the justice for Ronald Goldman's family and for? You know, any, any, anyone associated. But again, that's the one weird thing about being divided. The 90s were a very divisive time, too. You go back to the early days of Ruby Ridge. You had Waco, of course, Oklahoma City. That happened earlier that year in 1995. Mm. And then Columbine towards the end of the 90s. You had other weird things that popped up culturally that people talked about for too long. Amy Fisher, Joey Buttafuoco, and... Um, you had uh, uh, Tanya Harding, Jeff Galuli, and Nancy Kerrigan. You had a, a lot of those weird cultural stories, but it was a very divisive time, too. So whenever we look back in fondness and go, oh, you know, we weren't this divided, you know, the, the way we are now, like we were in the 90s. Yeah, we were. We had rappers that were shooting each other then. Yes, there's rappers shooting each other now, but uh, yeah, it wasn't as... For for anybody my age and older that wants to tell you about how great the 90s were compared to today, there were a couple of things that I liked about the 90s, but they weren't great. Let's stop making Crystal Pepsi out to be the, the greatest thing ever. Crystal Pepsi was terrible. <laughs> Whenever I see people bringing back, oh, let's do Zima and Jolly Ranchers. Yeah, there's better beverages now. Drink long drink. Have something like that. That's way, White Claw is way better than Zima, I'll tell you that much. So, 
So, so Zoomers, if you're out there uh, and listening to this podcast, don't let millennials and Gen Xers tell you about how great the 90s were and uh, all these different things in pop culture and how we weren't divided. I don't, don't believe them. Trust me. Um, let's see. Oh, um, we got to wrap up the podcast here in a little bit. I don't want to go too much longer. Um, yeah, the Ilhan Omar thing where she's... She's Somali first and Muslim second, and we've been hearing about the term dual loyalty for a long time, but especially since October 7th, and you have a lot of politicians, a lot of people in America who seem to, or actually it was probably before then, who are having Ukraine pins and Israel pins, and my belief is if you have dual loyalty to another country, you should not be serving. So if you're Anthony Blinken and you have dual citizenship with Israel and America, sorry, you can't serve. You cannot be a part of our public discourse. You cannot be a part of the government, in my opinion. And the same goes for Ilhan Omar. If your loyalty is to Somalia, if your loyalty is more towards the people of Somalia and other Muslims in your country, your home country, then your constituents in your state, which your state flag looks very much like the Somali flag. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, if you have dual loyalty, you should be you should be expelled from Congress and, in my opinion, be deported. So there's that. Uh, that's just my quick take on that because I'm going to try trying to wrap up the podcast a little bit here. Um, well, let's stay in the culture realm. Let's. Uh, I was talking about Zoomers and Millennials here. I'm going to play a clip here. I, I won't describe it. They do a pretty good job, but I'll come back around and I'll I'll break this clip down. I was going to actually open with this this clip, but uh, I figured I'd do a little bit later here on the podcast. So, uh, yeah, just listen to this one here. Nope, nope, hang on. Sorry, sorry. There we go. When asked to come in for an 8 a.m. meeting, my Gen Z new hire said, Ugh, sorry, I can't make it. I have a workout class. Should this be allowed? My visceral reaction was, are you fucking kidding me? No, fully, like angered, typing this out. I was like, please. Like my hand's shaking and it's not from the caffeine. You just started this job. I don't give a flying shit about your workout class. Also, an 8 a.m. workout class is too late. Workout at six, yep. maybe seven. Hi. Yeah, Natalie. So um, we can talk about this more later, but I'm going to address this now. It was made very clear during the interview process that the working hours for this position is between 9 to 5 p.m. Eastern time and I am on Eastern time. I made that very clear with HR because I have commitments outside of work. I go to the gym, I work out because I care about my health. Sure, I can make a sacrifice to go to an 8 a.m. meeting had I known at least a week before that I needed to go at 8 a.m., not a day before. Also, my workout class starts at 7.30, not at 8, but I didn't know that I needed to tell you that. Okay, let's just say I skipped the gym. Two things. When can I expect you to reimburse me for my class? And two, are you going to be paying me from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. or at the very least, let me leave at 4 p.m.? Natalie, if your answer to both of those are no, then there's no discussion needed. I will see you at 9 o'clock today. Also, yeah, I sent an email to HR about this and sent them the link to that TikTok video. So um, just to make things clear. Yeah, that's a... Uh, I think everybody in that video is largely terrible. <laughs> but the worst is the beginning. And I'm, I'm hopeful Zoomers are going to start fighting back against the millennial office culture and the Gen X office culture. So... The beginning clip with the, the the guy and the girl are complaining like, oh, I called him in for an 8 o'clock meeting. He said, no, he has a workout class. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Can you believe this? Uh, yeah, I can believe this because uh, we're not having an 8 a.m. meeting unless, uh, for a couple of reasons, like he said. 
I'll come in at 8 a.m. if you give me a week's notice, or you let me leave early, too. If you're going to say we have an 8 a.m. meeting on top of our normal work at 9 o'clock, no, then you're either going to have to pay me, or why can't we have the meeting after 9 o'clock? And also, here's the other thing that a lot of people aren't talking about. In corporate America, I worked in corporate America. I worked at a tech company, and I worked in radio for a number of years. I would say 80 to 85% of meetings are about scheduling future meetings. Or, you know what, I'm going to amend this. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 40% of, yeah, because I I said 80 to 85. Uh, I would say 40% of meetings are about scheduling future meetings. And the other 40% are, we're pretending to do work. Because you tell your coworkers, oh, I can't, sorry, I got a meeting today. Or, hey, uh, hey, by the way, I got this 1030 meeting and it's uh, it's going to take me right up until about lunchtime. So what did you do? You got into work at 9 and you had a 1030 meeting and then you take an hour lunch break. So meetings are like a, a break time in a lot of ways. Yes, I've been in too many meetings in my life, whether they were about me or they didn't have to be about me. Meetings are bullshit. Most meetings are absolute horseshit. Sorry, (laughs) if you're somebody listening to this who works in corporate America, uh, and I noticed this during COVID, was when people were scheduling these Zoom meetings, it was just a way for people to BS. The first 10 minutes of the meeting are like, oh, how's everything? I saw you got a new puppy. How's the puppy? Yeah, oh boy, yeah, you got a house break them. Did you put the newspaper on the floor or... Oh yeah, no, that's what that's what they're like. I'm telling you, but uh, no, you're it, it mature. I'm telling you, after a few months, it's gonna get bigger, but it's gonna mature, and you'll be fine. How's every How's everything going? I saw that uh, you guys are planning your trip to Disney. Yeah, no, where, which one are you going? The Florida one or the California? See, the Florida one. Now, I tell you, if you go to Animal King, that's what most meetings are. It's ridiculous talk. So I hated meetings. I, I any meeting that I had to personally set up, I said, "Let's get, let's cut it out right now. Let's do this, and we can get done in ten minutes." Instead, we're stretching it to an hour or however long the free trial of the Zoom thing was like forty minutes. <clears throat> it's like, all right, everybody here, let's get started. So, what are we talking about? What do we have? We have this blah blah blah. Okay, great. Now, what's your duty? What's your assignment for today? Okay, great. Uh, so, I'm gonna do this on my end. I'll reach out to this person. You do this. Okay, great. That's what meetings should be. Instead, it's just so everybody can see each other and hang out and drink coffee and, I don't know, talk about your weekend and talk about who you're dating. And uh, No. 8 a.m. meetings, no. It's not necessary. Um, also, for this dude, you have a 7.30 class, but you have to be at work at 9. What are you doing in a class? Don't do a workout class. You're an in-shape Zoomer. Don't be in a workout class. Work out yourself. Go to a gym go online, see what it, okay, I'm going to do biceps today, so I'll do curls, should I do the straight bar or the easy easy curl bar, should I do uh, dumbbells, what should I do, look it up online, don't do a class, what are you doing, a spin class, are you gay, are, are you doing yoga, what's the matter with you, so I just think everybody is terrible in that, but uh, millennials in the office, and the fact that we're getting this cultural shift between older millennials like myself, the uh, the, the Taylor Swift fans and the Zoomers who are just like, 
they, they, because there's some of them who have a pretty keen awareness now getting into the job force, and then there's others, like a story I mentioned recently, that you are now seeing some Zoomers taking their parents with them to job interviews. Now, it's okay to take mom and dad. Mom and dad are taking you on your job interview if you're working at uh, Subway and you're making sandwiches when you're 16. I understand that. Maybe they're your ride. You don't know how it goes. Do you have a resume? What? How do you do this? Like, hi, yes, I would like to be a sandwich, uh, what a sandwich artist. I think they call them at Subway. I would love to be a sandwich artist at Subway. Okay, well, what are your qualifications? Well, I have none because I'm 15 and a half years old. Do you have adequate tra- transportation? Well, I live five streets away, so I can walk here if need be. Okay, great. And if mom and dad want to sign off, that's perfect. If you're 25 and you're bringing mommy and daddy with you, that's a problem. That's a problem that uh, we have failed you. We have treated you like a child. You know why? Because you still are a child in many ways, even though you're not. You're an adult. You've been an adult for seven years now. But we have treated you as a child. Uh, At 25, you can still be on your parents' health insurance. That's embarrassing. At some point, we need to grow up as a culture. Wake up. <laughs> um, they're still lying about the economy. This is a great, great one. Oh, there's good news. There's, there's more good news for Biden. The economy is cooking right along. The Dow is north of 38,000 today. Wages are up. Unemployment below 4% for thir- 23 months in a row. And today, the Commerce Department announced the economy grew at 3.3% rate in the last quarter. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's a little technical, but according to macroeconomic theory, number go up equal good. This is just propaganda. I mean, they're lying to you. I've talked about this on my paywall podcast, so if you want to subscribe, go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazur. But they're lying to you, of course, uh, because Stephen Colbert makes, how how much does he make? I'm going to look this up. I, I I like looking up in real time. Stephen Colbert net worth. Stephen Colbert's net worth is $75 million. So if gas prices went from where they were about two thirty dollars a gallon in 2019 to um, by 2022 was upwards of 6 So you're spending at least almost $100 to fill your gas tank. I was filling mine for 86 just two years earlier. Even before COVID, I was filling mine at 40. It was half of that. Your grocery bill that usually costs you $95 for a full like week's worth of groceries is now $230. And these aren't just numbers I'm pulling out of my ass. These are actual problems people are having in real life. But when you have Stephen Colbert, when you have uh, upper crust people, upper class or uh, upper middle class telling lower class individuals, you are too stupid to understand how great we're doing. This economy is booming thanks to Joe Biden uh, and and his uh, pandemic response. Everything is going great. Don't believe your lying eyes. Everything is wonderful. uh, Yeah, a gallon of milk costs this much and it used to cost this. Yeah, well, that's just because the economy is going well. Oh, is this the same logic when it's a, a, a horrible snowstorm and the entire country is cold and it's like, well, it has to get colder before it gets warmer. Okay. Yeah, uh, they're lying to us. They're lying to us. And if Stephen Colbert, net worth $75 million, will tell you who makes 
$19,000 a year, some of you, you're trying to make ends meet, you're working three different jobs, because that's the other thing. They're, well, Joe Biden helped, and his administration created more jobs. Yeah, it's people that don't have full-time employment, they're working three jobs to equal one full-time job. So they're going from uh, working at the you know, working at the grocery store to bartending to doing something on the weekends. They're working three different jobs, but we created three new jobs. <sighs> no, they're not. Many of them are public sector jobs, and a lot of them are part-time jobs. There's not a lot of full-time employment that is being created. But they're just going to continue doing this. If they're going to happy talk their way, will it be successful? Might be. I would have thought that after what happened in 2022 and the fact that people in middle America were paying six bucks a gallon for gas, that that was going to cause a lot of people to vote red at the polls. That didn't work. So I guess people are just fine with this. Are you are you really fine? You really fine with paying this much? Okay. I mean, if that's if, if that's your prerogative, go for it. Uh, but prices are just not going to fall. Trust me. That's it, it, it. And even Janet Yellen has said so. This is her words. How do you convince Americans and voters that those prices might not go back to where they were before the pandemic? Well, I think most um, Americans know that pri prices um, are not likely to fall. It's not the Fed's objective to um, try to push the level of prices back to where they were. Well, they're not going to go into that particular direction and... Uh if, uh, but Joe Biden's economy is going well, but the prices are not going to return to where they were pre-pandemic levels. Thank you. Thank you, Janet Yellen, you lizard person. Um, everybody knows that. The cost of, you're not going to get dollar menu at, at fast food places. You're not going to get the cheap meals anymore. You're going to have to start paying people more. You're going to have, you're really, it's what's going to happen, but it's going to artificially inflate the, all, all this other stuff. I'm not an economist, but it's pretty simple what was going on. Well, Joe Biden added all these jobs. No, Joe Biden uh, didn't do any of that. And he tried to keep things shut down a lot longer than they had to be. Uh, but eventually things were going to come around and COVID wasn't going to be as much of a thing. So a lot of people are not going to, they're going to have their unemployment run up and say, oh, I guess I should probably go back to work now. I've been sitting on my ass for 99 weeks. <laughs> so eventually those people are going to have to rejoin the workforce. A lot of them dropped off the workforce and it didn't get counted against their stats. So it's just, it's, it's crazy. A couple of weeks ago, the World Economic Forum was going on. And what's the biggest thing that we have been hearing about is uh, from the World Economic Forum is eventually we'll just own nothing. That's the plan. We're just going to own nothing and we'll be happy, right? <laughs> Every product is a service waiting to happen. If you think about it, I mean, your cell phone, why, why do you want to own your cell phone? Does, how, how many of you own your cell phones? How many knows if the company owns it? It's actually not a lot. I mean, you want the, you want the function, you want the service, right? Why do you want to own a cell phone if you can just lease it? And if you lease, why, why shouldn't you lease your refrigerator or your washing machine or your dishwasher? Or why do you want to own it? I mean, okay, why do I want to own it? You know what? I'm going to let this play because I, 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 I might blow a gasket here. <laughs> Not like the plastic in the middle is like, you, I own a, a broke dishwasher. I mean, wow. No, why don't you want to go into a business model where the company owns it? You know what happens when the company owns it? Actually, 
they can bring down the prices because they don't have to buy new metal and new plastic. They design a much better product. It lasts a lot longer if they have to pick it up when it breaks. They might even send somebody to fix it. And, uh, and in the end, um, they will do a better product and you will get a lower price. It's much cheaper to lease a washing machine if you get, in, if you get the business model right because you don't have to own all of this. So this change from product to service is pushing a lot of this, uh, of the circular economy, because the second the business owns the products, they start designing them in a way where everything can be taken out and reused. And then you get the incentives right. Do we now? So we're just going to be Russian serfs the whole time. We're not going to own homes. We just live in, you know, we, we live in apartments. We live in pods now. We don't own our car. We lease our car. Or we have a car service, like an Uber. So every day we go to work, a car picks us up. An automated car will take us to our job. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't that be great? You don't own your phone. You don't own your music. You don't own your movies. You don't own any of this stuff. What, what's the point of owning it? We could just rent it. Then, I mean, that's the, it's, it, it's the one thing that is causing a lot of people not to pull the trigger on homes is, well, what if your hot water tank breaks? If your hot water tank goes down, you can just call the landlord and they'll, for whatever, the, the, the hot water tank ferry all of a sudden shows up at your door and gets installed. And that old hot water tank is bye-bye. Isn't that funny? Yeah. It's just a ferry comes by and, and puts that there. Why, why own this stuff? Why, why own a home? Just rent a home. Just rent this space. You know why? Because they can take it away from you if they want to. Why not rent your fridge? Well, if you're part of the grid, wouldn't you think that there's a possibility they can shut you off from it? They can excommunicate? That there could be some kind of, I don't know, a social credit system? That, uh, oh, you said something mean on social media, so we're going to take away your refrigerator privileges for this week. Oh, I'm not, he's, oh, Tony's this tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. I don't know. I don't know. Seems that uh, if they're putting these kill switches in cars, that uh, for what reason? Why would they put a kill switch? Are you, are you drunk behind the wheel and your car detected that you're inebriated and we're saying, sorry, you are not going to drive this car. You are too inebriated to drive home. Okay, I guess I'm going to have to sober up and I'll be fine. I mean, it's not, is that the society we want to go to? Or we're just not going to own anything and like it? I guess. I mean, if as long as the elites are involved, as long as the elites are pushing more censorship and, and rationing. Here's a last thing I'll mention here. It says, uh, although the majority of U.S. voters oppose it, 89% of Ivy League graduates are in favor of strict rationing of meat, electricity, and gas to fight climate change. Isn't that interesting? To fight climate change, would you... F would you favor or oppose the strict rationing of gas, meat, and electricity? And Ivy League grads, I'm looking at this chart, 89%. 89% would say, yeah, we probably should ration it because, you know, the, the, the sun monster is making things a little warmer today than it was yesterday. And the, in, in 200 years, the temperature might go up a fraction. <laughs> a decimal point. Not even a decimal point. Like, le less than that. Well, what about my great-great-great-great-grandkids? Well, I don't know. We've been pushing abortion and transgender stuff and puberty blockers. I don't know if we're ever going to have any great-great-grandchildren with the 
purpose of depopulation going forward. Yeah. So, isn't it funny? The elites in our society, the elites, the experts, if you will. Remember, these are the people who, we have Ivy League degrees. We're smarter than the average bear. But they want you to be masked, vaxxed, lazy, stupid, um, you're eating bugs, renting. And that's the other thing when I mentioned about, uh, about music and movies. If you don't own your movies, they're going to stealth edit this stuff that you can't watch things you'll enjoy because they can just wipe it off. Oh, there's a song that says a bad word in it. Uh, we're going to stealth edit that, and it's going to be a Mandela effect for you. Oh, Blazing Saddles. Hey, I thought that's a funny movie. Gosh, this version of Blazing Saddles seems a lot different from the one I remembered. But I don't own that copy of Blazing Saddles, so I guess not. Or one of my favorites was when they had to go back and... Well, was it was it Kindergarten Cop where the little kid says that boys have penises and girls have vaginas? And then, uh, but, but there was an episode of Bill Nye the Science Guy from the 90s that I believe my class watched on Laserdisc. That's how old I am. And on Laserdisc, <clears throat> Bill Nye the Science Guy was talking about genders and that, again, boys have this part of their anatomy and women have this and that there's boys and girls. And then when they brought back Bill Nye the Science Guy onto, I think, Netflix or one of the streaming platforms a few years ago, that episode had a couple of stealth edits to it that uh, that episode on gender didn't seem to exist on there what happened to it hmm almost like if we don't own this stuff they'll take it away and make you think you're the crazy person for wanting to go back and enjoy the nostalgia of the days of the 90s the days of watching the oj simpson verdict if i could wrap up the podcast and i'm going to wrap it up in a nice bow and talk about taylor swift again why do people like taylor swift Honestly, Taylor Swift is an attractive woman, but she's not a, a like a like I mentioned Sydney Sweeney earlier, who I think is absolutely gorgeous. She's the most gorgeous woman in Hollywood, in my opinion. Um, but is Taylor Swift Sydney Sweeney? Absolutely not. She's rail thin. She has no caboose on her. Uh, she, again, she's she's all right. She doesn't have the greatest voice in the world, but I kind of think it's a little bit of the Creed effect. And I mentioned this in yesterday's podcast, but I'll say it again. Creed went from being a fairly sizable rock band in the late 90s, early 2000s, to kind of being a punchline for the better part of a decade from around 2005 till maybe a decade and a half, maybe up until a couple of years ago. 15 years, Creed was a joke. They had a little comeback tour and a song called Overcome, which wasn't a bad tune, came out in 2009. I saw them live. Scott Stapp sounded terrible. And I thought, well, Creed, ugh, I don't think it's working out too well for this band. Now, Creed is huge. Like It was, it made a huge comeback on everybody's Spotify wrapped playlist at the end of 2022 and 2023. Creed's back, baby. But I think the reason people went to Creed was they thought it was a joke for a while. They didn't like the band. They didn't think it was all that great. Or they did like them, but all their friends said Creed was lame, so they're like, eh, well, I just won't say anything. Until it became socially acceptable to like Creed again. And you're like, oh, I've always liked Creed. I've always been, see, when I play, can you take me? Now, why are we playing that? 
Why do you play stuff from Human Clay, My Own Prison, Weathered? Because it reminds you of a different time in your life. And I think that's why millennial women who could very well sway an election to Joe Biden are so attached to Taylor Swift because, you know, uh, I'm feeling 22 and teardrops on my guitar and when you he, when you hear Tim McGraw, I hope you think of me and all these you belong with me and all these old and it's a love story, baby, just say yes. That brings some of these, especially girls, back to a much simpler time in their lives that... I don't know, the, the We're Never, Ever, Ever Getting Back Together song that I played is 12 years old now. So a 20-year-old girl was eight when that song came out. Or let's say a girl who was in college when that came out. So you're 18 years old, now you're 30. You're a 30-year-old woman, and you're hearing a song that from when you were a senior in high school to freshman in college, and it has that effect on you. It's nostalgia. So I think it's not so much Taylor's new music that people really like. I can't tell you a Taylor Swift song since probably the Blank Space song. Since anything in the last probably 10 years now. Because I don't care. But <laughs> the reason I even know a lot of these songs is I was a DJ, so I kind of had to know a lot of this. But I think a lot of it is people are, people are thinking about a different time in their lives. A much simpler time. Whether it is the 90s and Creed. Whether it is... 2012 and listening to Taylor Swift because of how rough people's lives have become lately and how uh, the divisiveness and TikTok and everything that's been going on. I think people are yearning for simplicity in their lives. And I think, I think that's the right move. Are you going to get it from listening to your favorite musician? Maybe. Are you going to get it from listening to Eminem try to rap Orange? Maybe I guess if you wanted, if you if you thought 2002 and Eight Mile was the pinnacle of your life, wasn't mine, but uh, you know, different strokes I guess. Whatever the case for you, I guess people are looking for some kind of simplicity in a simpler time, and I think that's the impact of Taylor Swift. But when you start attacking somebody's yearning for a simpler time, when you're trying to when when you're taking away their nostalgia when they feel that that's threatened, I don't think that's going to work out well in your favor if you're going to attack that. So just beware. Beware as we head into an even crazier time. We've had Jews crawling out of tunnels. And we're not... We're, this podcast is... We're still in January right now as I record this and it's going out. This is still January. <laughs> We've had a crazy year already and it's not yet February. I thank you folks for listening to today's Check Your Brain podcast. I hope you enjoyed this. If you want more, I have a Rumble page there. I have YouTube for now until I get strikes. And I, if they're going to really comb through my YouTube page, I'm probably going to say goodbye to my YouTube page pretty soon. Trust me. It, I, I, have a, I don't know why I keep saying trust me, but I think it's going to go away at some point. So go follow me on Rumble, and I'm on all the social media platforms as well. But if you like this episode, I have a guest coming on with me next week, next Wednesday. So thank you for listening to today's Check Your Brain podcast. Go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazer for more episodes such as this one. And I have tiers at 3 5 and $10 if you're, you want to donate to me and listen to more content from me. It's all right there for you. 
the Check Your Brain podcast on Patreon or wherever you get your finer podcasts. My name is Tony Mazur. Have yourselves a good one. And if you're on Patreon, I'll be back with you tomorrow. Everyone else, see you next week. Bye.